they're not even aware that they're not taking some of these chances. They're just used to it. It's just a habit. That's Mike Knowles. He's a friend of mine, a former professional gambler, and now a host of an array of workshops that tap into strategies, mindset, habits, and key skills to engender actual long-term change. All from his business, Build Your Incredible. He does workshops about decision-making and risk. And when he was telling me about this, among all the other workshops that he does, I just knew that I had to have him on the podcast. The way he breaks down decision-making and risk, plain as day, is so refreshing. And I'm really excited for this chat. You can really get a sense for his storytelling. You know when we're in school and they share fables with us and some of those age-old lessons really stick with you, these stories have been passed down through the English language and help guide us on our way? The particular anecdotes and stories that Mike tells in this episode really reminded me of the power of storytelling and how they can be relatable to so many situations and lives. And it really made me appreciate storytelling again. Anyway, basically... I'm going to be totally transparent. I have had a week and I'm not going to go into it, but I will definitely claim that I was brave walking into the podcast studio of recording. I told Mike what had gone down and it was such a blow emotionally and it was like one of three or four things that had happened this week that any other person probably would have just taken the day off. No, not for me. I just really wanted to get through the episode. It was such a blow that you'll just hear me laugh through it. Yes, there is a podcast episode this week, but it's just a few days later than we thought. So before we dive in, I want to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the land which we record this podcast on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Process the Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Thomas, motion director, recent social strategist, and founder of production company Cinematom. I can't wait to bring you into the world of my guests, some of Australia's most prolific creatives working in fashion, media, and design, as we unpack their unique creative process. I'm adding to the mix, obviously, this episode being one of them, some coaching and leaders in thought process and creativity to inform all of our creative processes. And I haven't quite woven that into my little spiel yet, but here we are. It'll happen soon. (laughs) I hope you love this episode and that it shifts something within you as it did me. Subscribe to Process the Podcast if you love it and leave a review. This is our sixth episode since coming back and I would love to hear what you think. I'm like devastated (laughs) right now. I'm so upset. Obviously, I just got told this. I'm really sorry for Ariel. (laughs) <laughs> no, that, that sucks. Yeah, just just own it. Just say that it sucks and that's that's okay. Well, it does fucking suck. So here we are. And I actually feel really bad that you're my guest walking into this because this is your fo- first podcast, isn't it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the raw emotion. Well, it really is. So I'm really excited to talk to you, but let's talk about who you are and what you do. Okay, Mike. so my name is Mike Knowles. And I run Build Your Incredible Workshops and do various things around mindset and strategy Mm -hmm. and upskilling and even general philosophy. So I'd look at things like, for example, we're going to talk about today, decision-making, healthy risks, look at habits, 
And then certain skills such as public speaking, so that'll be put into test today. <laughs> uh, and also empathy skills, thinking creatively, yeah. create, create meaning in your life. So all sorts of different topics that maybe you don't learn at school, but I think are really important. So, so how did you get into this? Well, my background, I used to run a professional betting syndicate. So there was eight people in the syndicate and obviously we'd take many decisions with high pressure, big risk, and we had to sometimes make them quite quickly. And so that was, I guess, where the decision-making and the risk elements of what I do arised. And then I went back to university and did a performance psychology master's at Edinburgh University. So that was very much around elite performance, a lot of sports, business, acting, dance, anything where people are trying to perform at a really high level. And I just thought I could apply that obviously to elite performance, but also just to everyone. So everyone can take little bits of this information and use it in their in their life or their work or their relationships or whatever they want. So, so when you said that to me, you did one on healthy risks, my ears pricked up because I was like, what is a healthy risk? Okay, so... I feel like I'm just out here in the wild west. I, like- I feel as though a lot of people get not to be reckless. Yeah. So that's really obvious. You know, a lot of people think, yeah, they get that. But in the current world, it's really easy to be avoidant. Yeah. So easy to be avoidant. And that could be in your work, not going for promotions, not putting yourself up for stuff, not taking on uh, extra responsibilities or public speaking gigs or something. That could be in your relationships, like just going in with one leg in, thinking mm, mm. maybe I'll sit back, maybe I'll maybe I'll just wait, see it. So I'll staying wait. in your comfort zone. Exactly. Right. So you're avoidant. And because of the way the world is, we can do this and still navigate and be very comfortable. So the idea really is to look at, uh, be able to start to evaluate different situations and say, okay, is this a good, a good risk or is this a good risk reward payoff for me in certain situations in terms of work or mm. taking opportunities and, and certain things you've got very low downside. So say if you were just wanting to, okay, I want to meet someone. It's like, right, let's go to these different clubs. I'm going to meet different people. I'm going to meet different, I'm going to expand my community if it doesn't work out, it's like, oh, well, I've wasted an hour going to that thing. That's the the, the mm-hmm. downside is the upside is maybe you get some amazing friends. Maybe you find a, you know, a, a new partner down the line and all these things. So it's, it's very small risk. And often it might be just time or a bit of effort. It's not even necessarily financial, but with the potential for massive payoff. And that's, that's the thing. Do people walk into your workshops and not really, are not self-aware about the opportunities in front of them? I think often... If it's a mindset shift, they're not even aware that they're being avoidant. They're mm. not even aware that they're not taking some of these chances. They're just used to it. It's just a mm. habit. So if, for example, and and I talk about that when you get into the habit of taking these small risks and these small opportunities, you go up and talk to that person in the coffee shop. Mm. And that might start out by saying, you're not going to necessarily talk to your crush straight off the bat. Might start off just talk to someone every time you get in a lift or talk to the cashier or talk to people. So you start to build up that. Oh. And so you go, okay, I'm going to, and it doesn't have to be a note. You don't have to be a number on it. Cause I've got to do this three times or whatever, but just start talking to people and then build up to maybe talking to someone that you like the look of, or start to talk to someone you want to become friends with a community and you build up. But I think people aren't even aware. So, so just even just educating them. So how do we shift the mindset? Well, I think it's, it's through action. So you've, you've got to create the habit of taking some of these chances. You've mm. got to create the habit of, of sticking your hand up and saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that responsibility. 
So when you hear something, yeah, I'll do the podcast. Yeah, I'll do that event. Yeah, I'll do that. And then you'll figure it out. You'll figure out how you're going to do it. And if it doesn't go well, who cares? You know, you're going to learn from it. Probably no one's going to listen anyway. Obviously not to this one. You've got a million going to listen to. So you've got to take the chances. And ultimately, I, I mean, I think when a really big opportunity comes along, when a really great chance comes on, that could be a relationship, that could be a job, that could be moving to a new place, that could be just some, you know, to really, you feel like if you're going to go for it, you've got to go for it now. It's like six month opportunity. You've got to put the work in. You've got to go for it. If you've not been saying yes to all the little things, mm. what chance are you actually going to say yes to the big thing? Yeah, right. Very, very small. If you've been saying yes and yes and yes, and I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. When a good chance comes along, you're mm. much more likely to go, yeah, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to grab it. And then what will be, will be. It doesn't have to mean that that's necessarily going to work out. It's just more that you're grabbing hold of things because when we get to late in our life, if we're looking to get there, 70, 80, 90, the things we tend to regret are the things we haven't done. Right. So there's a fantastic book by a lady called Bronnie Ware and she was uh, she worked in a care home and she spoke to a lot of people at the end of their life. Mm. And often they didn't, they were very lonely, they didn't have anyone else to speak to. And she saw these themes, these patterns come out again and again. And it was always things they hadn't done, the love they hadn't expressed, keeping in touch with old friends, being happier, going after things they were really passionate about. Mm. These were the things. In the short term, research suggests we maybe forget some of the action we, we, we took. In the long term, we always regret the things we didn't do. Yeah. Okay. So that's what it's all about. You don't want to get to that point late in your life when you can't really change it as much and going, I should. I wish I'd have shot my shot. I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd done that. You know, mm. you want to be having that realization early in your life and then you can do something about it and you can go after things and you can start to live that life. So in creativity, because Process the Podcast audience is a lot of people constantly putting themselves out there mm. and expressing themselves creatively. And a lot of the conversations that I have are essentially we are putting ourselves out there with our imagination and getting paid for it, mm. which is a terribly scary livelihood. Awesome. Yeah. In the creative community, you can get putting yourself out there fatigue. Mm. And I think I've had that. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I paused on the podcast late last year because I was just exhausted. I needed to go inward and stop mm. putting things out. And I've recharged and I'm back. So what is there in creative risk, flexing that muscle of taking um, taking the smaller risks more flex. regularly, flex the muscle <laughs> I just flexed for anyone that doesn't have the video version of this. <laughs> Shut up. I'm expressive. I'm creative. Okay. Go away. <laughs> you just put yourself out there. I feel seen. Go away. I'm too vulnerable for this. <laughs> um, with that gaze. Okay. Well, let if you just flip it for a second and say, who you put out to? Mm. You know, if you're creating something, I imagine it, it's because you've got some sort of passion about it or you're mm. interested in it. So you're doing it for you anyway, right? And most of it's going to be rubbish, right? That's the first thing about creativity. If if you're a comedian, you make 50 jokes, maybe two of them will be good, you mm. know? Um, I think Bach made, he made a, he, I think he made a composition every week and most of them were rubbish. Mm. I think Picasso made 20,000 paintings and most of them are nothing. Yeah. So even the best at it, they're going to produce a lot of rubbish. That's the process. That's the game. So you've got to be prepared and rather than see it as failure, just say it as that's just the way it is. 
Mm. That's not even, it's not even, if you're not failing, you're not doing it right. If you're not failing, you're just trying to be perfect. And when you're trying to be perfect, what is that? That's an external thing. That's what does someone else think about me? No one can be a brilliant creative thinking about what someone else is thinking of them. Mm. They can only be a brilliant creative when they're thinking about what they want to do and they're just focusing on them. And that outcome will be they will start to produce some creative pieces, but they'll still produce a lot of rubbish. But you're not mm. going to produce much of anything if you're just thinking about someone else. There's, there's a book called um, Range by David Epstein, mm-hmm. and he's very big about being a generalist and taking things from different areas. And you can, as a create, uh, as a creativity expert, one of the main things you do is you connect the dots. So you collect the dots. So the more different areas that you've learned in, mm. the more things you can say, I'm going to take something from here and use it there. And that's mm. a lot of what creativity is, is that it's taking abstract ideas, putting them together in a novel way. So the more things you've got that you can use from different areas, the more things that you can actually connect and 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 use to be Can you creative. give us like tangible examples of that? Yeah, for sure. So if you imagine, well, say if you're going to take some of the most creative people are hip, hip-hop rappers and impromptu comedians, and they've actually been shown to be better than product designers that come in with new ideas because they're constantly using that part of their brain. They're constantly mm. taking things from different areas. That, you know, I think, I think Jay-Z, when he was 9, 10 or 11, he used to just read the dictionary. You know, you think like, could, <laughs> of course he's, he did. <laughs> he's one of the coolest guys ever. He's, like reading, he's reading a dictionary, he's reading a thesaurus. Mm. You know, he's just learning, learning his rhymes, learning new words. That was how he got good. Yeah. You know, he didn't get good just because like, he just like walked onto stage and he could do it. Mm. He practiced and he practiced and he, and he wrote down, same as Eminem, and same as anyone who's been an impromptu comedian, no doubt, they will have spent a long, long, long time taking these ideas. And then that that allows them very quickly to connect up abstract ideas. Mm. But certainly there's been examples of, of where experts, they're too close to the action. Mm. And there was this group, I, I can't remember the name of it on, on the website, where they would ask people from other fields mm. if they could solve the, the, uh, the this problem that had been, that had been really essentially bugging them in their industry for a long time. Mm. And you get someone from a complex, you get someone who make concrete for a living who knew this way of, of using certain rods that decrease the magnetism and that solved the problem for them. So often it's these people that you, you would never expect who maybe mm. aren't scientific as such. I mean, Einstein at the end of the day, he had, um, when he did his special theory of relativity, which changed the world in 1905, he didn't even just do one paper that year. He didn't do two. He didn't even do three. He did four papers that changed the world. So I think he won his Nobel Prize that year on photoelectric um, energy, which is how they built solar panels. Mm. And he was also doing work on uh, his special theory and then uh, t- essentially two other areas. So when he was struggling one area, mm. he would then go and work on another area and yeah, so right. on and so forth. And it was the same with Charles Darwin. He had multiple projects on the go. It took him a long time to come up with this theory of, of evolution. He was on the Beagle for five years. So they were going across. I think he looked at earthworms for 12 years. <laughs> you know, this guy was like, he was just going around doing different things, but slowly because he'd looked at geology, because he'd looked at geography, because he started to see patterns. He could see that Africa, the way the geology was laid out, seemed very similar to South America. He mm-hmm. could start to see how these should maybe be connected. He could start to see some of the reasons of how things had evolved. 
And it was only by having this really diverse group of experiences and knowledge sources that you could put it all together. Sometimes it's a habit and that's going to take a bit of time to build up. But if it's a mindset shift, that Mm. can change very quickly. So the mindset around decisions is that a lot of people, they're worried about who out there has been worried about making the wrong decision Mm. or the wrong, or there's this right decision. If anyone, if someone could just tell me what that was, that'd be great. Uh, If you could just just tell me the future, someone the right decision. I'm here to tell you now, there isn't a right or wrong decision. Right. Most decisions, like obviously some some decisions are no-brainers, like there's just upside to this and downside yeah. to this. But most decisions have some upsides and some downsides and some upsides and some downsides on that option or however many options you've got. So it isn't ever going to be a question of right or wrong. It's a question of looking at them and evaluating them and thinking, okay, I'm going to go for this now. And Jeff Bezos has got a great quote about two-way doors or one-way doors. Mm -hmm. or one-way doors. He says, if a decision is reversible, then you can make it quickly and you can just pivot. Mm -hmm. If a decision is a one-way door, it's irreversible, then you've got to really take your time, make sure you're 100% sure with that decision before you go for it, okay? Most decisions are two-way doors. And what successful people normally do is they take action and then they pivot. Right. Because that's the way it goes. You know, you've got a startup, you're going to pivot a lot of different Mm. times, you're going to change the focus, you're going to change what's, what's working, what, you know, you're going to go to the market, that doesn't work, this will change this. So it's going to be constantly pivoting. Mm. It's constantly changing what you're doing. And it's the same with maybe what you want from a relationship, what you think you wanted, and then what you actually realize, or what you think was going to be good, and then what actually might be good. Same with lifestyle, same with what we want as we go through our life and our values change. So we don't need to have the answers. And I love the analogy is you're going into the rainforest, okay? So Mm -hmm. the rainforest is your life. You can go into the rainforest and... You head in, okay? And you might head downstream. You might go down the river, okay? Mm. Or you might go further into the rainforest. Or you might go, right, I'm going to go through the rainforest to try and go up the mountain. Or you might get into rainforest and you might meet this person and they're going, hey, I've got this boat. Do you want to come on this boat? And you're like, yeah, I'll go on this boat, okay? And you go on the boat for a bit, right? Now, here's the thing. You might have gone a different route and you might have met that person later. Or you might have met that person earlier. Mm. And you might have been in a different headspace or not. It might still have led to something. It might not, okay? But the idea is that as long as at each point you're making decisions with all the information at the time that you've got and the time available to you and you're making quality decisions that you're happy with Mm -hmm. at the time and you're doing things that matter to you and that comes from understanding your values and you're doing things that mean stuff to you, then you're doing great. Just go with the journey because it's going to take you out in different points and you don't know where you're going to come out of the rainforest. You don't know which journey you're going to go on. But as long as you're doing things that are meaningful, that matter to you, and that you value at the time, then you, you're, living, you're living the journey, you're living the process, and just try and enjoy it. How do you help people to identify what matters to them? I think getting clear on your values is really important. Mm-hmm. So you can have values specifically for certain areas. So, for example, decision-making values, you may have values. For me, it's about passion, it's about uh, freedom, and it's about people. Mm-hmm. So I like to be able to choose my own hours, be quite flexible in terms of freedom. I like to work with passionate people as well. And so that's basically how I would choose to make decisions. So that's a good way of thinking of like what is important to you. Mm-hmm. My actual values are around curiosity, around growth, and around having a, having a laugh and inspiring positivity, I guess. So for me, it's like that's a good start starting point. So mm-hmm. if you can get clear on your values, that's going to help you a little bit in making some of those bigger decisions, certainly. Mm-hmm. I don't think 
I don't think you're going to be clear on everything and we're not going to have all the information. You've got to get comfortable with making decisions without all the information. And that was what I had to do in, in gambling. When you start a relationship with someone, for example, you're not going to know, you're not going to know how things turn out. When you go for a job interview, you've got no idea, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you're dealing with incomplete information. You mm. can make a best guess, but that's all it's going to be. And you've got to be comfortable with that. You've got to say, okay, well, I'll give it a go because like I can't, if you wait for a hundred percent, if you wait for 90%, the opportunity might go, you know? Yeah. So you've got to start getting comfortable with going, I'm going to move on 60%. I'm going to move on 70%. I don't need it. I can't wait for a hundred percent or the opportunity is probably going to go. Is that something that people can get better at doing with practice, decision-making? I think so. Yeah. hundred percent. Because when we make decisions, we've got two, we've got two systems. So people tend to be either more logical or more intuitive. So when mm -hmm. I broke people into the room, often it's maybe a few more logical ones than a few more in intuitive ones. But really we've got system one, which is very much uh, instinctive, uh, intuitive. Mm -hmm. And we normally do this off heuristics, which are like rules of thumb. Mm -hmm. So for example, someone smiling at us, they're probably a nice person or they're friendly. Okay, so that's a heuristic. Most of the time we're right, okay? Every now and then we might meet someone who's smiling, but maybe they've got nefarious agenda, you see. Shady. So, yeah, they're a bit, because <laughs> that's the idea. They're like, con men are obviously going to be charming, but like, you know, <laughs> no, well, that's the thing. So, con man, man is actually short for confidence man, or confidence woman. Because oh. they give you confidence and they make you disarm. Intuitively, right. we feel warm towards them. That's how they're mm -hmm. so good at their job, or if you call it a job. Now, system two is more the logical, the analytical and much slower. Mm. So normally when system one, if it's working well, if system one came across something that was a bit unsure about, then that's when system two should go through it a little bit longer and work through what the information, look at the, right. the, the evidence, the red flags. Now what tends to happen is whatever system one's decided already, system two will be like, oh, we'll just go along with that. And it won't do a proper job. Mm. So it's important that you've got both your system one, like your intuition, your instinct is, is you're listening to it, but it's also important that you go through the information. Mm -hmm. So for example, in, in a relationship, you might be getting all the feels and it might be amazing and you're getting, oh my God, this feels fantastic, but there's heaps of red flags and everyone's going, oh my God, like there's a couple of things you might want to you know, worry about there. Yeah. <laughs> or, or the other way, it looks great on paper, but there's no chemistry. You're not getting any of the feels. Right. Okay? Ideally, you want to be getting the feels, the chemistry, everything like that. And also it, it weighs up, the yeah. logic weighs up. Now, what I would say is you shouldn't have to explain your intuition to anyone. That's you, right? That's your experience. It could still, it might still be wrong, but you don't have to explain it to people. Mm -hmm. But your logic, you should be happy and almost wanting people to attack your logic. So you shouldn't be a pressure around your logic because that's the whole idea that it should be able to deal with the, with argument. Mm -hmm. Intuition, you don't, you can say that's my opinion, that's your opinion, that's fine, okay? Mm -hmm. But sometimes people mistake opinions with facts and they start telling you opinions as if it's facts. And you can say, well, look, okay, that's your opinion and this is mm -hmm. my opinion. I'm not, I don't have to take that advice. That's your opinion based on your experiences and your anecdotal evidence that you've got. But it doesn't mean that that's the right way to go. So it's very important to be kind of, get clear on our intuition, get clear on our logic. And that's one way that we can certainly get better um, and, and more systems driven with our logic and also listen to our intuition with our decisions. So I think that's really important. What is the process of your workshops? So I like to have um, five or six 
key themes or key ideas. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will then throw forward a few people who have illustrated that idea or a little bit of research behind it or a little bit of a concept around it. Mm-hmm. And then I will throw it open to the group for them to discuss something about that. So I'll be like, tell me about a time that you've taken a risk and it, and it hasn't gone well or, or that you've taken a risk, you push yourself out of your comfort zone and how did that go for you? So then they will then have a little thing, they'll pair up and then we'll come back to the group and we'll kind of share it back to the group. And then we'll normally leave with like either a little bit of a a key for that point and then we'll move on to the next one. So the idea is that it's very collaborative, but you could have one person who's talking about the relationship, talking about someone else who's talking about money, talking about someone else who's talking about their job or starting a side hustle or going traveling. So people don't need to be talking about the same things. A few of the exercises doing decision-making, I would get all the people who are intuitive, who feel they're more intuitive on one side and the logical people who feel they're more logical. Yes. And then I'm saying, okay, all the logical people, what's great about the intuitive people? What would you love to be Mm. a little bit more like them? You know, being a bit more spontaneous, being a bit more just going for it. Intuitive people, what would you love if you could just be a little bit more logical? So I get them to try and look at it from the other point of view. Mm -hmm. And then I might say, so emotions come into decision-making a lot. And we should never really make a big decision when we're in an emotional state. So you shouldn't be making any big decisions at this moment, for sure. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You want to make sure when you're making decisions that you're in a, you know, you're not in an emotional state. You feel like you're in quite a a stable state. Because what you might make is a decision that's more emotional, more than intuitive. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we mix up the two because we, you know, we can, I think, I think it was David E. one that says just before uh, lunch, the parole board gives a lot less paroles because they're hungry <laughs> so you want to whenever you find that position you want to get that after lunch spot that's the that's the pimp slot so. okay, yeah and and i would get people who say there's like a little heart on on the page and i say think about a time like an emotional state mm-hmm. or just a physiological state so maybe you're hung over or actually time of the month when you might not make good decisions and how that right. has influenced your decision making in the past in a negative way and how might you negate that in the future so i get them to look at their actual emotions Mm. and you know has that been jealousy has that been anger you know you look at will smith at the oscars you know obviously (laughs) such a good example just a a, an instinctive thing yeah and it and it's you know it's potentially ruined his career you know just from one a one thing you know Mm. and in the world that we live in with 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 cancel culture you know you can make one mistake and that can be you're you're off Mm. you know in certain in certain environments where do you think indecision comes into this i i believe there's in the modern modern day world we've probably got often we've got a paradox of choice mm. so you go into messina okay oh and God. i i yeah. love i love peter people because they, they they've got a few less ice cream but i just think it's better i like the nutella I love the chocolate. I just always go chocolate. But in Messina, you've got 50 choices. Yeah. So you've got all these. You've got the sorbets. You've got the, you know, rhubarb crumble with pear, you know, souffle or whatever. And it's, you might pick a great choice, okay? You might pick a really good one. You know, you've gone for your your triple chocolate fudge with a hazelnut, okay, right? (laughs) And then, but you're still thinking about what I might have gone for that pear and rhubarb. Yeah, right? (laughs) But yeah. when you only had chocolate, strawberry, vanilla, maybe maybe banana, if you were lucky, maybe mint chocolate chip, you go, okay, I like that one. I'll just go for that one, okay? Yeah. So maybe you had a actually less, uh, it wasn't as optimal a choice, but because you're actually looking at all these other things that might be better, you're actually less happy with your choice, even though it might have been actually better. So mm-hmm. they, there's a great line that, that comparison is a thief of joy, okay? Mm-hmm. And you see that 
in on the dating app. So you see that on social media where before it's like, you'd be quite happy with the situation. But now we've got, you know, we've got, everyone's a click mm. away. Everyone's so accessible. You know, everyone's got um, beautiful pictures that are perfect and every everyone's life looks so exciting. And it's so easy to be like, oh, you know, the grass looks a bit greener, okay? And the grass actually is a little bit greener because from the side, it actually looks greener. So <laughs> yeah, it's actually okay. laid over. So it actually is greener. <laughs> but you you might be looking at all these different uh people and thinking oh what if what if right yeah. whereas if you just had a few choices you can often be a, a, a lot happier so I think I think sometimes indecision can come from having too much choice mm-hmm. you know and sometimes sometimes with a little bit of discipline with some parameters and that's big in creativity is that with with discipline comes freedom and the creative process you need to have some parameters some discipline in order mm-hmm. to actually really create because if you're just given a blank canvas often that can be difficult to actually work with yes and it's the same with having too much choice it can just it can overwhelm us and that's the thing and it puts us in a state where we're not able to actually make a decision because we've obviously got we've got too much into our mind Hmm. paralysis analysis whatever you want to call it what and and then what we often do is we have to make no decision or we make a spontaneous decision and just go, I'll do that one. Mm. And neither one of those is going to be optimal, you know, generally. Most of the time, unless you get very lucky, it's going to be a poor decision, you know, in those cases. Do you have anything to comment on the regret that comes from making a bad decision? I've I've always been very forward forward looking. And I guess I always have just gone for gone for things. Mm. But um there was there was a story. So I used to so when I when I gambled for a living, started off, I was I was twenty three, I left my job. I just said, right, I'm I'm gonna do it. Everyone's like, You're crazy. I'm like, Yeah, well, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll get another job. It's not it's not the end of the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I've done it for six months. I'd had a good run and I was like, I'm gonna go to uh, I'm gonna go to France. I'm, I'm gonna go to Switzerland, I'm gonna go to France, okay? Because mm. I had a friend out there and I and I came up with this decision like two weeks before but this uh, chalet, I was meant to be sharing it with another person, like this little chalet in the beautiful Swiss resort. That's the only one I knew because th- this girl was there and, you know, I rocked up and I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. I just, you know, I was used to things going well because um, it, it happened like that. Uni, so I, I turn up, there was no snow. It was still minus seven. There was just no snow. There was no internet access in the chalet. It's like 2006 or something. And the guy had promised me internet access, so I couldn't work. Right. It was a French-speaking resort. I didn't speak uh, French, obviously. <laughs> the shop was two miles away, so I'm having to walk minus seven to work in this like dodgy, like yeah. little cafe doing the internet. And I'm getting my shopping, and I'm walking back, and I was sat there in my chalet on my own because the other guy hadn't turned up. No TV, no nothing, just eating my jam on bread. Okay, and it was lovely <laughs> jam on bread. It was beautiful French bread, but I was going, "What the fuck has happened here? Like this has not played out. I expected it to." Okay. Yeah. And at that time, I was like, okay, this isn't going well. So after about three weeks, there still wasn't any snow. I just called it. I came home. I think I paid like two months rent, came home. And, you know, I came home because I'd said, I'm going for five months, came back after a few weeks. Everyone's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> how did it work out? I was like, oh, let's not talk about it. So I came home with a table between my legs, but it actually ended up being great because when I came back, yeah. there was two guys that had left the the company I used to work, work for. And because I came back to England, we ended up starting – 
a syndicate together and because they were a little bit older than me, I learned a lot of them and we, we had a really good collaboration and it ended up being great. Mm. And a bit like the story, you don't know what's good at the time. So some things can look terrible and some things can look not so, not so bad, but they might end up going in different ways in the future. So it's a bit like the, right. the story of the, the, the Buddhist farmer. Have you ever heard that story? No, you have so many. I'm like the rainforest will be back. Oh, back in the rainforest <laughs> with the farmer. So yeah. it's a it's a story where essentially there's this farmer mm. and he's one of the poorest guys in the village. He's only got one horse. Yeah. And one day this horse bolts and runs off. And everyone's like, oh, this is terrible. You were the, the poorest farmer in the village. And now your only horse has gone off. Yeah. And he's like, well, you don't know what's good or what's bad. So the next day the horse comes back with 100 wild horses. And everyone's like, this is amazing. You've got 101 horses. How lucky are you? You're now the richest guy in the village. And he's like, well, we'll see. I don't know. You never know what's good or what's bad. So the next day, his only son is trying to train one of these wild horses and falls <laughs> off and breaks his leg. So everyone's like, this is awful. You're too old. You can't train these horses. And your only son's fallen off and he's broken his leg. And he's like, you don't know what's good or what's bad. Now, the next day, the king comes through and takes all... Did you hear this story? Just, <laughs> just wait. The king comes through and takes all the able-bodied men away to a war where they're <gasps> almost definitely oh going to lose God, their yes. life. So they didn't take the son away. And the farmer's like, you don't know what's good or what's bad. And that's the thing is we don't know what's good or what's bad. We don't know where it's going to lead. And we don't even know Just what, like that story. What is good we didn't know. No, I didn't know where it's going to lead. No one knows. That story was actually really good. It's, it's, it's a story just to remember that like, if you can take the pressure off about what is right or wrong. Yeah. If you can take the pressure off and just say, look, we're gonna go, we've got weak and strong options. Look's going to play a part. We don't really know where it's going to go. We're just going to make the best we can with incomplete, incomplete information. It's a complex decision. I'm a human being. I'm going to make mistakes. Just do the best you can, mm. enjoy along the way, meet as many cool people as you can, enjoy it, live live into your passion and just don't, don't, don't not go for things. Go for things and then you won't regret things. Where can people find you? Here, right here. I'm going to be, <laughs> <laughs> be here forevermore. MikeKnowles.com.au. So that's Knowles spelled like Beyonce. Oh, yeah. K-N-O-W-L-S. Yeah, very saucy. Um, they can also find me on Instagram, Mikey Knowles, or Build Your Incredible as well. So if they search Build Your Incredible, right. um, I'll, I'll probably come up in places as well. I feel like I walked into this podcast recording terrified about decision-making. Me too. Oh, and I feel better about decision-making now. There you go. And just, well, that's what it's all about. I'm inspired. <laughs> no. I've got a lot of journaling to do. Yes. That's what it's all about. Thanks it's going to so be all right. It's going to be okay. Just go into the rainforest. <laughs> <laughs> see where it goes thank you thank you everyone thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode I hope that you love it I have left the book titles and where you can find them in the show notes that Mike mentioned and also how to find Mike himself there's a couple of different platforms you can find him on it's all in the show notes ready for you I will see you guys next week